All right, so there you have it. If, if you're unaware, there have been several of these Minion movies made through, throughout the years and grew there. He's kind of the main character, and he's got this army of yellow Minions with him all the time. And, and in this movie, right, um, as in all the movies, the Minions usually provide the comic relief and the silliness, and they usually mess everything up, but they're extremely loyal to Gru in, in the end. This movie is set back in the 1970s where preteen Gru is setting his sights on how to become a, a supervillain. And his inspiration is this, this group called the Vicious Six who is led by their leader and Gru's favorite villain, right, uh, Wild Knuckles, okay? They're, they're the names that are in there. I didn't make them up, y'all, okay? Things, well, what happens with Gru is he gets an interview. He gets an interview with the Vicious Six, and, and he tells the minions, don't come with me, because he's worried about them messing everything up for him. So he leaves them behind. Things don't go well at, at the interview, and Gru actually becomes an enemy of the Vicious Six, and he gets kidnapped. And, you know, who's left to save the day? You guessed it, right? It, it's, it's the minions. Amidst all of the the crazy and absurd action scenes and the silliness, Minions, the rise of Gru at its core, is about a rescue mission, right? That the Minions must rescue Gru in his time of a deepest need. And so this rescue min mission plot got me thinking about all of us, and it got me thinking about the Bible, because as you work your way through the Bible, and one of the things I'm doing right now in my quiet time is I'm having fun reading through the Bible chronologically, and what you begin to see is, man, there's story after story after story of people being rescued and the need for being rescued. And as you make your way through the Bible, you see it's ultimately a big, huge rescue story. So today, what I thought we'd do is look at one of these smaller rescue stories and how it relates to the biggest rescue story the world has ever seen. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, I want to encourage you to go find Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21. That's what none of you expected. How are we going from minions to Numbers chapter 21 in the Old Testament, right? Numbers is the fourth book of the Bible there at the beginning of your Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And as you're finding your way there, just a little bit of background for um, the book of, of Numbers. Numbers continues with the story of, of the nation of Israel, where God has rescued them, another rescue story. He's rescued them from slavery in Egypt. Moses is, is leading God's people, and the nation of Israel is on their way to the land God has, has promised them. And on their way, the people begin to argue, and they begin to complain, and they begin to push back against God, and they ultimately rebel against God. And this rebellion leads to them wandering in the desert for, for 40 years. And as a result, the, the book of Numbers is marked with this cycle of rebellion, the people rebelling against God, wrath, or God's discipline or judgment against the people rebelling, and then rescue, God rescuing the people from their rebellion. Over and over again, this plays out in the book of Numbers. And in Numbers chapter 21, we see another one of these cycles of rebellion, wrath, and rescue play out. And so I thought we'd take just a few moments to walk through that together. So Numbers chapter 21, beginning in verse 4, says this. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. Here comes the rebellion part. 
and the people became impatient along the way. And the people spoke against God. They spoke against Moses. Here's what they said. You've brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. For there is no food and there is no water. And we loathe this worthless food. Okay, here's what's going on. God had rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt like we just talked about. He's performed miracle after miracle after miracle. He's guiding them by a cloud during the day, a pillar of fire at, at night. And God has, has chosen them and called this group of people his people. And he's promised to take them to a land flowing with, with milk and honey. And along the way, he's protecting them and he's providing for them. And the way he's providing, he's providing food called manna, which the Bible tells us were wafers that tasted like honey. It's called the, the grain of heaven or the bread of angels is what manna was called. So God is providing and he is blessing his people. He's doing all of this and more. And yet we see here that the people begin to push back, right? They, they get angry, it says, against Moses. They're angry against God. They're impatient with Moses. They're impatient with God. They complain against Moses, and they complain against God. So God's providing all of this, and the people are even saying, like, we, we can't believe he brought us out of Egypt. We wish we would have just been slaves and died there. And then they go on and say, like, the food you've given us, yeah, we hate that food. It's actually worthless to us. Now, here's what this reminded me of. Have you ever bought your kids or your grandkids gifts, like shower them with a bunch of gifts. I think about Christmas morning or like a birthday where you get them a bunch of stuff that, that they've wanted, right? And, and maybe two weeks after Christmas morning or two weeks after you give them that gift, they're, they're kind of like, you know what I really want? I want this thing over here. Like, well, what about what we just, no, I don't, I don't want that anymore, right? Like, they're just like, they're over that, they're done. What I really want, what I really need is something over here. Or maybe, I mean, I'm sounding more and more like my father as, as I get older. Think about as you're younger, all that your, your parents or your guardians or your grandparents provided you, right? A roof over your head, clothes, food on the table, a warm bed, taking you to the, the doctor when you need to and being your taxi driver, driving around everywhere, right? Your, your parents or your guardians, right, they, they've provided you so much. There's huge blessings in all that they have, have done for you. But think about how many times, I think we've all been there, that we were like, I'm not wearing those clothes. I'm not eating that food. I don't want what's on the, the dinner table, right? I don't like my room. Why do we have to be in, in, in this house, right? I think it's these moments we see that we're a lot like Israel was at that time with God providing for them. And, and it reminded me of, of this, that, that we need to be very careful. We need to be very careful that we don't become so accustomed to the blessings of God that you and I take the provisions of God for granted. I mean, let that sink in for a minute. Just, just be careful in our lives not to become so accustomed to the blessings of God providing for you, even down to the very breath that you and I are taking right now that, that we begin to take the provisions of God for granted in our lives. And for the Israelites here in Numbers chapter 21, life was, was, was difficult for them. It was a difficult journey right? The circumstances may not have been what they expected. They certainly didn't think God was doing what they wanted God to do here. And as a result, they became accustomed to God blessing and protecting and, and providing for them. And instead of trusting God to lead them forward, they began to forget everything God had done. They began to forget everything God promised to do. And as a result, they pushed back and they rebelled against God. 
And I think we've, we've all been there too, haven't we? Some of us might be there today, right now where you're seated. You're going, God, my life is really, really difficult right now, and I don't like it. Some of us might be saying, my circumstances, God, they are not what I expected them to be today. God, you're not doing what I think you should be doing. Or God, it doesn't feel like you're doing anything at all. I think we've all found ourselves there, right? We've all found ourselves in those moments, and we find ourselves in those moments, right? Those moments are real. They are rough at times. They're difficult, and they wear us out, and they are taxing. But when those times come, we must be really careful to not be like Israel here in Numbers, where we lose sight of how God has provided over and over again in our lives. We, We must not miss how he's currently providing. We must not wonder and be careful of, of like, God, I, I don't even know if you're still working at all. God is always working. We must not forget his promises. And most of all, we got to be really careful in those moments not to begin to rebel against God. But that's exactly what the people of Israel did here. And things got so out of hand that God had to bring judgment or wrath. Kind of like if you're a parent, there comes a point where like, my kid needs discipline for disobeying, for rebelling, right? Well, verse six lets us know um, God's judgment on, on the people's rebellion. It says this, then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and we've spoken against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Here, God's judgment, as strange as it might seem to us, came in the form of poisonous snakes. The people had rejected God enough. They rejected his gift of life in in manna. They had rejected his health from heaven. And this rejection begins to lead to suffering, and it leads to death. Now, I've shared with you all before, Corey doesn't do snakes. I don't like snakes at all. Like, I'm out, right? Like, you need to find another man to take care of a snake if one comes in the room because I'll be screaming like a 12-year-old running the opposite direction. But we read these stories in the Bible, and sometimes I think we don't fully envision what's going on. Can you imagine this, this account right now? Poisonous snakes everywhere. People being bit one after the other. Bodies lying on the ground People in pain and suffering, screaming out and crying out for help, right? This would include young and old alike. And then there were people dying. The people, they needed to be saved. They needed a remedy. They needed an antidote. An antidote. They needed to be rescued. So what do they do? They cry out to Moses. They confess that they have sinned. And they ask Moses to intercede for them. And Moses prays to God. And here comes the rescue we see through his prayer. God gives an answer. It says, the Lord said to Moses in verse 8, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made the bronze serpent and he set it on a pole. And if anyone was bit by a serpent, he would look up or she would look up and see the bronze serpent and they would live. Now, some interesting things here. Notice God didn't immediately just remove all the snakes. Notice that God just didn't immediately heal everyone who had been bitten. 
He tells Moses, hey, I want you to make this, this brass serpent. I want you to put it on a pole, and I want you to lift it up so everyone can see. So again, maybe to kind of help us get a picture of this, here's a, a rendering of, of what somebody thinks this may have, have looked like. Right? So anyone bitten could, could look up at this bronze serpent, and, and, and they could instantly be healed. Now, a couple of, of things to take note of here as this picture's up there for us. Right? If you're thinking like me, snake, bad. Right? And usually when a snake or a serpent shows up in the Bible, it's, it's a bad thing. However, what makes this different is that this serpent was made of bronze. Why is that different? Well, bronze in the Bible is associated with the judgment and the dealing of sin. That's why in the Old Testament, when you go back and you look at how Israel had these sacrificial duties to perform, that anything that dealt with the forgiveness of God Anything that dealt with the forgiveness of sin, God's judgment, God's atonement, every single time, that all took place in or on something that was made of bronze. So this bronze serpent here, right, it speaks of sin, but it speaks of sin judged and sin dealt with. Notice also from this story that, that the people weren't saved by doing anything on their own. They simply needed to look up to the bronze serpent. The word look here carries the meaning of exercising faith in something, right? That even if they thought what God was doing or Moses was doing was, was foolish, they had to look up to, to trust in something, to put their faith in something. And if they did, if they looked up to what God provided to heal them, they were rescued. And if they didn't, they tragically died. So here we are, right? This rescue story in minions to a rescue story in numbers. Why look at six verses from the Old Testament. Why look at this account of, of rebellion and wrath and rescue? We're looking at it because this story is a picture for us. It's a lesson for you and I. It's a teachable moment for all of us. It's a reflection of the story of all of humanity and of God. It's your story. It's my story. And it ties into the greatest rescue story ever known. How so? Glad you asked. Otherwise, the message would be done, right? Here's how it ties in. The Bible tells us this, that every person has rebelled against God. The Bible says all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all gone and turned to our own ways to follow our own paths and not God's paths, that none of us are righteous, no, not one, that no one seeks after God, that all have turned aside, that there's no one good, not one, that all have sinned. That every person that has ever lived has rebelled against God. Even the nicest person you know or the nicest person you could think of right now has rebelled against God, has sinned against God. And just like the people of Israel back in Numbers, right, as we read about today, the Bible says this about God. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and against all unrighteousness and against all sin. That the wages or the payment or the judgment of sin is death. Again, just like those in Numbers here, every person has been bitten by sin. And the bite of sin is poisonous to all of us. And it brings suffering. And it doesn't just bring death, but it brings spiritual death into our lives. And there's nothing you and I can do on our own to be, to be rescued or healed from that. That we, 
need a remedy, that we need an antidote, that we need the anti-venom, we need to be rescued. Enter God and enter the rescue mission of Jesus Christ. If you're able to, to do so with me, why don't you go ahead in your Bibles or your Bible app, turn to the Gospel of John with me. The Gospel of John and John chapter 3 for a moment. It's here in John 3 where Jesus is talking to a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a, a Pharisee. He was a, a religious leader. And as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he is describing God's big rescue plan, his rescue mission. And Jesus lays out this rescue plan, God's rescue plan, to Nicodemus. And listen as he's laying out this rescue plan, what remarkable event Jesus refers to. He says in John 3, 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, Jesus, be lifted up. Y'all, this is why I think the Bible is so awesome. It was written over a span of 1,500 years, 40 different authors, three different languages, multiple continents, yet you would expect that story could not stay together, but the Bible stays together. There is one consistent story throughout the story that we are looking at today, that God, with the rebellion of all of humanity in his sight, with the punishment for sin in his sights, that with people all around spiritually dying because of the effect of sin in their lives, Jesus says, hey, let me tell you, here's what God's plan is. Here is the rescue plan. And the rescue plan is this, that, that I, Jesus, have come to intercede. Remember, Moses had to intercede. Jesus came to intercede and be the remedy for your sin and my sin. That he has come to be the rescuer. That Moses, hey, there was this bronze snake. Jesus is saying, that was just a picture. That was a picture of me, Jesus. That was a picture that was a foreshadowing of how I, Jesus, would be lifted up and be the remedy for the sins of the whole world. And Jesus' statement to Nicodemus here in verse 14 is followed by probably the most famous verses in all of the Bible. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved, rescued through Jesus. And whoever believes in him will not be condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he or she has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is the rescue mission right here, right? For all humanity. Jesus shares God's plan to fulfill the greatest rescue mission ever known, and it's right here. It's saving us from our sinful rebellion. It's saving us from the deadly effects of sin in our lives. It's saving us from for God's wrath upon, upon sin. And the parallels between what Jesus shares with Nicodemus here in chapter 3 of John and what happens is in Numbers 21 is stunning. There's much there, but I just want to look at three things before we close today. Number one, Jesus must be lifted up. Jesus must be lifted up. It's by God's grace that Jesus came and he must be lifted up. When Jesus says to Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man must be lifted up. There's a dual meaning with those words lifted up here. And the dual meaning is, is, is this. Lifted up means to lift on a cross or to be crucified. 
It's the exact words that are used in John 8 and John 12 to describe Jesus being crucified. But this is so cool. The other meaning there, it means to be exalted or to be glorified, right? Those words are the same words used in Acts chapter 2 after the resurrection where Jesus is lifted up or ascends into heaven. And so i just stop for a minute today and I don't want to just assume everybody in this room is a Christian or knows Jesus, right? If you are, let me, if you're a Christian, let me ask you this question. Who or what is lifted up in your life? Who or what is exalted and glorified in your life? Right? What's number one in your life? If you're not a Christian today, right? If somebody just drug you along and was like, dude, you got to come have some popcorn at this church. They're crazy over there, right? And you're sitting here today. When it comes to dealing with the poison of sin in your life, for you, who or what is lifted up as your remedy? Because if it's anything other than Jesus, right, then you don't have the remedy. If it's anything other than Jesus, you don't have the antidote. If it's anything other than Jesus, right, you're still spiritually dying and you still need to be rescued. Much as the serpent was lifted up on that pole, Jesus needed to be lifted up on the cross. Why? Because to be the perfect payment, the perfect sacrifice for your sin and mine, for the sins of the whole world, Jesus who knew no sin had to become sin. He took on himself the very thing that condemns people. He bore in his body that which brings spiritual death all at once. You see, in order for this rescue mission to succeed, it was a must for Jesus to be lifted up on the cross. And number two, we must look up to Jesus alone. We must look up to Jesus alone. It is by faith that we must look up to Jesus and only Jesus as our rescuer. In, in the camp at Israel back in, in Numbers, the solution to the, the serpent problem, notice it was not killing the serpents. It was not making medicine. It was not pretending the serpents weren't there. It wasn't passing anti-snake laws. It's a good, good deal. I'm all for those, right? It's not, hey, you got to climb up the pole yourself. The answer was by looking in faith to what God had provided to heal them at that time. The whole world, again, has been bitten by sin. The wages of sin is death. And how someone is saved from sin and death and eternal punishment is by believing on and looking up to faith in Jesus Christ alone. Again, I love how meticulous and purposeful God's word is. Sin and death came into this world through a look. When you go back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, it says, it says Eve looked and saw that the fruit was good. And here we're told that deliverance from sin and, and death comes by a look of faith to Jesus. Right? Isaiah 45, 2, God says, Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Now I get it, some people... Maybe even you today think God's rescue plan is foolish. You might think it's, it's too simple. You might think that it is way too easy. But God's command is, hey, you just look up to and put your faith in what I provided to heal for you. And that is Jesus alone. So Jesus must be lifted up. We must look up. And number three, we must let go and let Jesus. We must let go of trying to save ourselves 
to work for our own salvation. It comes through the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. At the time, for those back in Numbers, the serpent was, that bronze serpent was the only cure that God provided, just like Jesus is the only cure for sinners. He is the only savior for us. And in the Old Testament there, notice that no one could look up to the, to the bronze serpent for another person. They had to do it for themselves uh, alone. And no matter how hard they tried, no person could save themselves. And the only salvation that was available to them was what God provided for them. In the same way, salvation in, in Jesus, the salvation that Jesus offers, it's personal. It's individual. You have to own your faith. You have to look to Jesus. No one can do it for you. And there's nothing you can do to save yourself. And Jesus is the only salvation. He's the only rescue. He's the only remedy that God has provided. In, in reading through this, the Lord kind of brought my mind to, to lifeguards for some reason. And I was thinking about lifeguards. And do you know what the biggest danger to a lifeguard is when they're saving someone who is drowning? It's the person drowning. It's the person who's drowning grabbing on to the, the lifeguard and the person drowning trying to do all the work on their own instead of letting the lifeguard do what only the lifeguard could do, which is save them from drowning. The person drowning, their only job is to stop working. It's to stop trying to, to save themselves. It's to stop trying to rescue themselves. And it's the same for us. It's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father. No one has a right relationship with God. No one gets forgiveness or rescued from sin. No one gets salvation or saved. No one experiences spiritual life. No one gets eternal life in heaven except through me, Jesus. In other words, what Jesus is saying, hey, let me, Jesus, do what only I can do. And that means to stop flailing around. You and I, people around, stop flailing around. Stop struggling. Stop working. Stop efforting for yourself. All that's going to do is lead to you drowning in your own sin. You just must let go and let Jesus do what only can do and save us. So when it comes to the biggest rescue mission, Jesus must be lifted up. We must look up and we must let go. And we got this on the screen here for you. Here's what we see in all of this. It's that Jesus isn't just part of the rescue plan. He is the rescue plan. Right, let that sink in. Jesus isn't just part of the rescue plan. He's not an add-on to our lives or something we tack on. He is the rescue plan. And I think all that we talked about today is, is really wrapped up in two other well-known verses, verses out of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that sound like this. For by grace, for by grace, God sending and lifting up Jesus, you have been saved through faith. In other words, looking to Jesus alone. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. It is not of work so that no one may boast. In other words, just let go and let Jesus. So here we are, getting ready to wrap up in just a, a few minutes. What do we do with all of this today? What do we walk out of here today with? I think a couple of things. I think we walk out of here knowing and seeing that the accounts and the stories in the Bible, they are our story. 
They are a reflection of us. Many times they're a reflection of our sin and our rebellion and our need for rescue. We leave knowing today that, that God is holy and God hates sin. And there will be judgment that comes upon sin. No one likes to hear that, but that is the truth. We leave knowing and seeing also on the flip side that God loves you and I more than we could ever fathom. That the individual stories in the Bible and the Bible as a whole show us God's great love for us. It shows us God's mercy and grace toward us. And that God provided a remedy to our sin, a rescuer in Jesus Christ. We leave knowing and seeing today that the individual stories in the Bible and that the Bible as a whole is a story of faith. And that when people by faith look to Jesus, they will. Not maybe, not might, not probably or hope so. They will be saved. We leave knowing and we leave seeing that, that we should never get used to we should never get accustomed to, we should never get numb to the blessings and the provision of God in our lives today. That we should never get used to the fact that Jesus saved us. Never get used to the fact that Jesus rescued us. That he gives us life. I mean, I'd say today, don't ever get over the day or the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Don't ever get over that. And if you have, I pray as you leave today, the Lord would just flood on you in a brand new way, take you back to that moment where you said yes to Jesus, where you, like the people of Israel, were like, I have sinned, forgive me, God, right? That Jesus became your rescuer. Don't ever get over that moment. And may we be reminded that God's provisions in our lives are always good and always for his glory. And the last thing I would say as we leave today maybe the most important thing for, for many of us today, that we leave knowing and seeing the reality of what happened in that Israelite camp. Think about this for a moment. Could you imagine the first person or the second person or the first four or five people who looked up at that bronze serpent and knew like, I'm not dying anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm healed, I'm healed oh my gosh, I'm okay. I'm really okay. I am saved. I am rescued. Do you know what they would have done? They would have hopped up and they would have started running around letting everyone know, hey, there's a cure. You don't have to die. There's a cure. Just, just look over there. I'm, I'm, I'm one of them. I was bit, but now I'm okay. Now I'm alive. Now I'm saved. They would have run around and let everyone know that they were rescued, that there was a remedy now I say for us the same thing. How important is it for us to get the good news of Jesus Christ out, to the, that, that he came into the world to save us, to tell everybody, hey, listen, I was dying once. I was dying in my sins, but I've been rescued. Jesus saved me, and I have life and life abundantly, and, and I have a life in the future. Like, you gotta know this. Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you how I was saved. Let me tell you who rescued me and how I've been rescued. That we need to leave today, maybe probably leaving with this more than anything else. That we need to go to people around us and let them know that the rescue and the remedy has come to all and for all in the person of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me this morning? 
Heavenly Father, Lord, sometimes we go through the Bible and we might hear the story of how you saved us, how you rescued us, and it's kind of become old hat. It's kind of just become, man, we've, we've heard this over and over again. But Lord, today I pray that it hits us in a new way. That what Jesus has done just floods over us. And that for those of us here that know Jesus as our Savior and as our rescuer, we would leave today, we would leave today with a desire and a courage and just a drive to tell folks about how we've been rescued and how they can be rescued, how they can receive not just life, but everlasting life. Help us to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to be unashamed of of Jesus in our lives. Would he be exalted and glorified and lifted up in our lives? But Lord, I also want to just close by giving anyone here a chance to be rescued today, to be saved today. Maybe you sit here today drowning in your sin, drowning in the circumstances of life, looking to a bunch of other things and realizing, maybe looking to your own works, looking to other people, looking to the world and realizing it's just not working. God, help me today. Save me today. If that's you, all you need to do is like the people of Israel, you just need to confess right now, right where you're at. You need to confess and say, God, I have sinned and I am sorry. Forgive me of my sin. And God, right now, I'm putting my faith and trust in Jesus alone. I am looking to and looking up to Jesus. And today I am letting go, knowing that he alone saves. And I'm choosing, I'm choosing that remedy today. And as best as I can, as best as I know how right now, Lord, help me to follow you for the rest of the days of my life. God, we thank you for your mercy, for your grace. Most of all, we thank you for Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.